Cody Alexander, Match Quarters. Welcome to another edition of the Weekend Countdown here on the Art of X Show. Looking at five games I'm looking forward to. Let's get right into it. Uh, Tennessee versus LSU, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, uh, ESPN. You know, one of the things that I really look for when I look at teams and how they're matching up and when I look at teams that I'm interested in studying is I look at efficiency data. Now, if you're an, an NFL follower, you probably heard of DVOA. Football outsiders have created that to kind of adjust the kind of the ranking so that you're not necessarily looking at just like yards per game, points per game, but how efficient are these are these teams actually on offense and on defense and how that's playing out um, over the course of the season. Uh, one of the guys that works there, uh, he's created a site called BCF Toys. And I've, if you've ever followed me at all for the past couple of years, you've seen that I've used this before in terms of creating, he calls it DFEI. Uh, so it's basically the college DVOA. I follow his website again, and I'll have a link in. I'll have a link in the the show notes for you so that you can go to it. But I follow that, and that's usually where I get my efficiency stats for college football. LSU is the ninth most efficient team in college football. Just an over, overall most efficient team. Tennessee comes in at, at, at number 12. The early Saturday game is going to be a de facto playoff game in the SEC, much like you have with Kentucky and Ole Miss. Now, I know that they're across from each other, but remember, everybody's chasing wins with Alabama and Georgia on either side of that. So if LSU wins, they're going to continue to rise in the polls. Remember, they, they lost early against Florida State. And we've seen this before. If you can lose in the first week, but you keep continuously winning, you're going to be okay at the end of the year, even if it's, a, let's say, Florida State only goes 6-6. Six and six, They barely make a bowl game. They're not that great. Uh, you know, it, it's a terrible loss. But if you do that with a new head coach, new quarterback, everybody get, is getting broken in in LSU, kind of figuring it out. A lot of people will just be like, okay, listen, it was week one. There's an adjustment period. Remember, college doesn't play preseason games. Uh, so it was just kind of one of those anomalies. But look at look at how awesome they have been for the rest of the year. So this is, again, a de facto playoff game in the SEC. If Tennessee ends up winning, again, they keep undefeated going towards their going towards their uh matchup with Alabama which will be the following week so just something to keep an eye in this is why this game is important so it's an early early game you also have two really good quarterbacks you have Hinden Hooker for Tennessee who's seeing his NFL stock rise you have the former Arizona State quarterback Jane Daniels who transferred to the Tigers he's a junior he's looking to kind of raise his stock as well the both these quarterbacks are really good they're they're athletic they move around they throw the ball really well the balls have a brile style offense if you've watched notre dame the past the past decade uh, you will see that it's it's pro style spread you know it's something that brian kelly has always kind of had with him he's always had a good offense he is an offensive guy so something to look for balls are a, a minus three favorite to win this game I think that this it has upset written all over it. I like LSU. I like the the way that they're going. Uh, it is in Death Valley, so look for the upset with minus three. So I have LSU on that one. 
Next game on the slate, Utah versus UCLA. That's a 2.30 on Fox. Utah is slowly proving they're one of the best teams in the country. A lot of people forget about the Pac-12 until the end of the year, and usually it's kind of one of those where, well, do, where, who's their undefeated team? Unless it's some a, a team like Oregon or USC. Utah, for whatever reason, they're just not a sexy team for a lot of people to talk about. They have a great defense. They play a lot of, a lot of cover three and cover one. They get out after you they don't let you run the ball they put you in predictable situations to where you're going to pass and they use that to their advantage they have a really good corner uh, as well something to look at in this matchup with UCLA um, remember Utah has a week one loss at Florida now that kind of looks like a bad loss Florida Florida has kind of become stagnant everybody kind of was like oh, okay Billy Nap- Napier's arrived he beat, he beat a, a good Utah team and then they've kind of fallen off the wagon after that uh, so again going back to what happened with LSU this is another team that's going to have to continuously win every week as they go forward to make sure that they have that kind of hey look we are there for the playoff we deserve to be in the playoff UCLA is coming off a big win against Washington last week the Utes carry a balanced team with a top 15 offense and a top 15 defense in terms of efficiency Bruins defense is in the top third I've always argued in modern football if you're going to be a top tier team you have to have an elite offense and at least a top third defense you have that with Utah and then you have that with UCLA so this looks like a really good game I think this comes down to defense I think Utah's defense is much better and Utah wins uh, Utah wins handily uh, and continue to dominate in the in the Pac-12 going forward game three TCU versus Kansas now I know a lot of people I, I talked about it last week uh, with with Kansas playing Duke, and then uh, you know a couple weeks ago when that when it was everybody was like, "Hey, all these basketball teams are really good." Kansas is winning games. This is a legitimate football team. Uh, and I, had you told me this in, in the summer or in the preseason, hey, listen, we're going to be talking about an undefeated Kansas team going to play an undefeated TCU team. I would have said, okay, I can, I could see TCU. But Kansas, I, I would have probably audibly laughed at you. I, I, there's no way that you could have predicted this. Um, they have a fantastic offense. Uh, Lance Leopold is a fantastic coach. Uh, coming from the D3, uh, where he's won several national titles, going to Buffalo, basically building that program into a, a program that was vying for MAC titles, and then going to Kansas and making this a legitimate football team. Now, the Horn Frogs are coming off a resounding win of Oklahoma. There's a lot of issues in Oklahoma, and we'll talk about that here here in a second. But Kansas is one of those teams where they are dangerous on offense, but they have no defense. TCU is kind of making that is kind of in that same mold. They have a really good offense. They, you know, it's one of those situations where you're going to look at this and you're going to be like, hey, this is essentially the exact same Big 12 that it was about five years ago. All offense, no defense, uh, and that's what it's going to be. The line is set for minus seven for TCU. College game will college game day will be there in Lawrence, uh, which which will be exciting. So this game is going to be a classic Big Twelve feel. Lots of points. The over under on this is set at sixty seven and a half. Uh, probably, I would look for the over in that one. All right, let's talk about some of the NFL games that I'm looking forward to. Cowboys versus Rams. That's going to be at uh, three thirty on Fox. Dak is officially out versus Rams. 
Cooper Rush has been holding it down. I live in the DFW area, uh, so I've heard all the panic judgments about Dak went down. What are we going to do? And then Cooper Rush has come in and, and, you know, the quarterback controversy and all of those things. But at three and one in, in the East, that's looking pretty good. Football Outsiders has the Cowboys uh, offense at, at number six in total DVOA, and they have one of the better defenses in the NFL. The Rams are a at 26 in DVOA. I think if you would have said that at the beginning of the year, hey, the Rams offense is really going to struggle. I think a lot of people would have scoffed at you because of the, you know, adding Robinson, some of the other things that they're doing on offense, it, coming off of a Super Bowl, but it looks like they have a Super Bowl hangover. It's lasted into this season. The first quarter of the season is gone, and they're really struggling. So it one of those things is going to be looked at is how this offense is going to adjust moving forward. Uh, their O-line, primarily in the interior, has just been shredded with injuries, and it just does not look like they can get off the ground. Now, Cooper Cup is having a historic year so far through four games, but for this offense to work, you need a running game, and you have to be able to spread the, the ball around a little bit. So L.A. coming off a loss with the 49ers, who, by the way, look for real. The game will be played in Los Angeles. The line is at minus four and a half with the Rams' favor. The Cowboys right now are playing really well, but they haven't necessarily outside of the Bengals and the Buccaneers. You know, a lot of people are like, okay, have they played anybody? But look, if you beat the Buccaneers, who everybody thinks is going to be a playoff team, I think if you beat the, you know, you, you beat the Bengals, which I think everybody kind of understands, hey, this is a team that we feel like could make could make the playoffs. When you look at their schedule, they they actually have played a better schedule than than really anybody else in in the East. So, uh, you know, I really like uh, I really like the Cowboys in this one, um, and and to maybe upset the Rams. This is going to be a close game. Uh, I don't think that it's going to be a, a wide margin. I don't think I think I don't think the Rams are going to win by by a, a touchdown. But I do think that this game is going to be really close. Um, can Dallas keep the momentum with Dak waiting in the wings to return for Philly? Which again, that's another team that looks really fantastic. Can the Rams survive the Dallas pass rush? That is going to be the key in this game. If they can keep Matthew. Stafford upright they can keep uh, a kind of a legitimate run game going uh, to help their play action I think that you're going to see them uh, come out of this in in with a victory now last one Bengals versus Rams that's going to be the primetime night game on Sunday this is Lamar versus Burrow that is all you need heading into this one for you to to watch this now the Rams inexplicably are Owen I mean the Ravens sorry excuse me are Owen two at home and the defense is not living up to Baltimore standards now they are Breaking in a new DC, there's other things going around it, but they still are middle of the road DVOA. But we're we're used to the Ravens always having a top ten defense, and so the, I look for this. This is one of those where they're going to have have a rough first quarter, but they're going to figure it out. This is, I think, one of the better teams in the NFL going into the second quarter of the season for Lamar and company. The offense is humming and they're scoring points, which is important. And since it's the opposite, they're having a lot of trouble. They're trying to figure out, and this is this has been a trend that has has been talked about uh, by a lot of people around the NFL is these teams that they'll get under center to run the ball, but then they get in gun to play shotgun and it's making it really predictable what you're going to get for the defense. And so they're having trouble outside of Philly, you know, they're having a lot of trouble running the ball 
out of the shotgun. Now, one thing that helps Philly is that you have a quarterback that can run the ball, so you can do that out of shotgun. Now, the Ravens are a little bit different, too, because they do things a little bit more out of the pistol. So you get – but, again, we're talking about two special – players in Lamar and Hertz who can run the ball so it's going to be interesting going forward how these offenses begin to adjust I know the Chiefs for instance have started to use a lot more under the center with Patrick Mahomes a lot more downhill run game and not necessarily getting in the gun and doing some of the you know outside zone out of the gun which in the NFL is is struggling to really kind of make their mark again that's to me I think of stretch out of the gun as more of a high school play. I've got an elite back who's faster than everybody else, and I'm just going to outrun him to the edge. In the NFL, it doesn't necessarily work like that, especially with the way that teams are structured. So what is essentially happening is out of the gun, a lot of defenses are starting to play more too high and starting to play a lot more cover two and quarters, understanding that, look, we can out of this, we it's predictable what we're going to get. We know the quarterback's not going to run, so we don't need that extra defender near the box. So we can play this with a light box, use movement, use some creepers and sims to kind of these run down, early down run pressures uh, to get them into situations, five-man pressures. So I think that's what you're seeing in the NFL right now. It'll be interesting as we go further into the season how that's going to work and how offenses adjust to that. But just something a little, a little tangent off of that to think of. Um, there's too many weapons really at the end of the day in Cincinnati for them not to uh, be better on offense. Again, they spent a lot of money on that O-line to fix it up. They've got to get it together. I think Taylor and, and Burrow will get it fixed at some point. This is a, you know, this is a divisional rivalry game. This is to kind of put yourself at the top in the AFC North. A, a win here creates a lot of separation going into the second quarter. The line, again, for this game is Baltimore at minus three. All right, let's transition. Four things we learned from last week. My team is Denver. If you followed me at all, you know the Broncos are kind of my childhood team. I grew up in Kansas City as a Bronco fan, so you can imagine how that was. Thank God we had John Elway and we won a couple Super Bowls. Uh, so, you know, I, I did have some bragging rights on, in a lot of years. Uh, but I'm a Broncos fan. I keep an eye on the Broncos. There's just something not working in Denver this early part of the year. Um He's Russell Wilson is currently sitting at number 20 overall in adjusted EPA per play for quarterbacks, according to rbsdm.com. Uh, there have been clock management gaps, the red zone struggles, and the and of course that inexplicable fourth down, this field goal decision in game one to go for uh, you, you spent all this money on one of the top, what is supposed to be one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, and you kick a field goal, uh, like a 64-yard field goal, uh, to try and win the game instead of to 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 go for it on that on a fourth and five. I don't know. Don't ask me. I'm not. I, I don't get paid the big bucks to make that decision. Uh, the defense, on the other hand, has played well. It did. It it did not give up 32 points against the Raiders last week. They're averaging 16 points a, a per game on offense that is just abysmal and when you play in the AFC West with the offenses and the offensive talent that you have in that that spells absolute disaster now I I chalked the the loss to Las Vegas as one of those that was it that was a must-win situation those guys were playing at home that you could that was pretty much a predictable loss for Denver but going forward you don't have Randy Gregory you don't have Devontae Williams on the offense yeah Melvin Gordon I think I, I read has fumbled every single game. There's major issues. Nathaniel Hackett 
has to start figuring out something on offense, has to start figuring out a way to get this team going. All signs indicate a lackluster year and a significant questions going into the offseason. All right, Baker Mayfield, he's at a crossroads. Again, I feel like this is the same story. It's just a different team. The Panthers had the second-worst offense in the NFL. It's just ahead of the Colts, who just lost their main uh, weapon in uh, Taylor. At some point, uh, you, you are what you repeatedly do. And for Baker, it's a mediocre quarterback. It, he he has some talent around him it, in, in Carolina. You can put it on the hiring of the OC and Ben McAdoo. You can blame it on Matt Rule. But at the end of the day, it appears that Baker will be supplanted at some point by Sam Darnold when he comes back from IR, whenever that will be. Offensively, it is a mess in Charlotte. It doesn't look like it's going to get any better. You have one of the best kind of multi-purpose backs in the NFL. You have decent weapons. It, it's not like the cupboard is completely bare. It should not be one of the worst offenses according to all you know the baker truthers out there it should be better than this uh, and it just isn't uh, and so and sometimes things work out sometimes don't but you are over time you regress to the mean and it looks like baker mayfield is nothing more than a you know an elite backup or a just a kind of the bottom of the rung or a mediocre quarterback in the nfl all right nfc east might be good question mark uh, if you look at the standings through week four, the Eagles, Cowboys, and Giants are all three and one. I know that sounds crazy. Only Washington has a losing record. For many, the Eagles look like one of the best teams in the NFL. I agree. Uh, there's lingering questions with Dallas. Are they for real? Are they just kind of riding this way where everybody's hunkered down because Dak's not there? Uh, the Cowboys are coming off three straight victories over the Bengals, Giants, and the Commanders. Uh, remember, they played a really good game in week one against the Buccaneers. Um, outside of Cincy, no one is has is wild by those wins so you know beating the giants beating the commanders nobody's sitting there kind of saying okay this this dallas team's for real the eagles on the other hand they haven't ran the gauntlet either scooping up victories against the lions who had the number one offense in the nfl but they also have the worst defense in the nfl the vikings win is a quality win a lot of people see that as a, a playoff team and then beating the commanders and the jaguars again if you scratch the surface the Vikings win and the Jaguars win, who I think a lot of people now look for the Jaguars to win south. To me, those are two quality wins, and then you have two wins against teams that you should have beaten. Um, who had the Giants beaten? The Titans, which now, you know, again, looks like the Jaguars are, are kind of the king of the south this year. Panthers, we just talked about their, their offense struggles, and the Bears, who, by the way, they may have the worst team in the NFL this year. Uh, Justin Fields just isn't isn't cutting it. Uh, there's a lot of issues in Chicago in Eberflus's uh, first year. Yeah, it's just not the who's who of the NFL. So we don't know what the East is right now. Most of the teams outside of the Eagles haven't really played anybody. Again, the Cowboys, you could argue, hey, they play, they play the Bengals and they play the Buccaneers. They went one and one in those games. So they're kind of sitting right there at 50-50. Um, but this is right now, it looks like this could be an interesting race going forward. And we're really going to find out more about this division in this second quarter. Shocking firing. I think a lot of people were uh, kind of scratching their heads on this. This one, Wisconsin was ready to move on from Paul Christ at two and three losses to Washington State by three points. Number three, Ohio State, who, again, they 
kind of own the Big Ten and they score 50 points on everybody. Uh, then you have kind of this, I think in their mind, it was an inexplicable loss to Illinois. Uh, Illinois is kind of one of those teams. They haven't been good. They've been cycling through coaches. But again, they have Brett Bielema, who knows how to build a program, who has built a program, who knows that Wisconsin program really well, uh, did relatively okay in Arkansas. It's hard to build a Wisconsin-like team in the South like you did in the like he was trying in the SEC. But uh, I understand that the 2022 campaign in Madison was not going well, but to fire Chris kind of after five games, I think was a little bit of a knee jerk. I think what we're seeing is they wanted to see what Jim Leonard could do. Um, Jim Leonard is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. He's a young guy. Obviously he was an all American for Wisconsin. He's kind of like this honored badger badger son, uh, you know? And so I think, this was a move more or less like, hey, we feel like we have the next guy on here already. We're not really interested in Paul Chris anymore. We think that things need to change. And so they went with it. They went with the younger guy. Uh, so it will be interesting to see um, how Leonard adjusts to being the head coach. Um, probably not something that was expected. Now, all of a sudden, you got to be the head coach. You're the guy. Do you have a plan in place? You're probably working with people that you didn't, you necessarily don't see working with you next year. You're going to have to have some really tough conversations uh, on your staff going forward, doing it in the middle of the year, as opposed to at the end of the year and giving a clean slate and really looking at it, uh, you know, that again, I, I don't get paid the big bucks to do that. I think it was a little bit of a knee jerk in Chris, eight years at the helm, five of them have ended in with nine wins. And in fact, four of those were 10 or 11 win seasons. So there are, program that doesn't recruit nationally uh they have a very particular way of recruiting they have a very particular kid that goes to wisconsin i just feel like uh that this is one of those um oddities of college football where you where you see a guy like chris get fired i think he'll land on his feet somewhere else odds on favorite is that it's going to be leonard uh but also look for leopold in kansas and uh matt Ince uh in north dakota state i think either one of those two would be a great fit leopold is obviously a wisconsin guy uh, having uh worked in the d3 area there and then matt Ince at north dakota state recruits really the same kids that wisconsin's recruiting just at a lower tier but it's it's the same map recruiting map uh and again you know what he's been able to do to sustain the program at north dakota state has been really good i'm i'm a big ints fan so uh you know if i you know if leonard doesn't get it i would love to see ints get a shot in a power five all right here we go predictions i've already kind of laid out a few things on some of these games it's hard for me not to predict them um but let's go to the three predictions that that i'm gonna actually stand stand by so oklahoma versus texas that's 11 a.m on abc this game is going to be crazy. It always is. It's one of those. Uh, everybody talks about the Auburn LSU game from la uh, last week about how crazy that rivalry is. Oklahoma kind of tends to be that way. It's either one of these shootouts or one team blows out the other and everybody's sitting there scratching their head like, wait, I thought I thought this was supposed to be a competitive game. And Oklahoma ends up blowing out Texas or Texas ends up blowing out Oklahoma. Oklahoma's got a lot of answers that they've got to uh, come up with after that loss to TCU. The defense looks abysmal. But again, you, here's the thing about Oklahoma. They haven't really played defense for a while now. 
kind of they do have some talent but when you're running a system uh like the venable system that is asking you to be very sound very check based we're going to do things the right way you're you're really growing through the year and you're looking for year two for that growth and defense now if we get to next year at this time and we're saying hey man there's something wrong with the defense uh in oklahoma now everybody needs to start kind of that's when you need to hit the panic button oklahoma's offense is going to be fine they have one of the best offense coordinators and Jeff Levy. I trust that the offense will continue to go. I know that their starting quarterback was out last week, but it really didn't matter. TCU had, had gone forward. This game looks like it's going to be uh, the Texas is going to end up winning. They are uh, favored by seven points. I think it will be closer. This is a rivalry game. The moment that you think one team is way far ahead of the other team, that's usually when you get a kind of a, a really close game. I still think Texas wins, but I think they win by three points. Uh, and so I have them winning 34-31. Auburn versus Georgia. You know, is Georgia bored? Are there problems with Georgia? One of the things offensively is they're really struggling to throw the ball down the field. Um, now, this is the reason why I picked this game is because this Georgia is a 29 and a half point favorite. This is a rivalry game in the SEC. I really think that uh, one Georgia will win. Don't get me wrong, but if you're if you're looking on betting against the spread, this would be a game that I would pick. I think Georgia wins 31-10. That's 21 points, so it's a whole touchdown less, a little bit less than a touchdown. Uh, from the 29 and a half points. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I don't think we're going to sit here and we're going to look up and it's going to be 40, 41, 17, something like that. I think this is going to be a little bit closer. I think it's going to be close for the first half and then Georgia will pull away in the second half. They're just a better team. Uh, and there's so much going on off the field at Auburn. But if you've ever wanted to write the ship, this would be a good week to do it against your bitter rival. I don't think they write the ship in the, in the sense that they're going to win. But I do like Georgia uh, kind of winning with Auburn taking the points. All right, let's look at one of my, my NFL prediction for this week, the Lions versus the Patriots. The Patriots are favored by three at home. Currently, the Lions are three and one against the spread, but one and three overall. So they're playing better against the spread than they are on the field. Detroit has one of the highest scoring offenses in the league. They've got 35 points a game. New England's team is averaging only 18 and a half. This has upset written all over it. I know Belichick always finds a way. Don't bet against Belichick, but I think this is one of those years with Mac Jones struggling. What are they doing offensively? I think the Lions score too many points. I think the Patriots defense obviously will play really well. I don't think they get to 35, but I have the Lions winning 28-24 in, in the upset. All right, let's recap how I did last week. I was two or three last week. That puts me at 10 and seven overall this week. Uh, this year, I had Alabama uh, winning and Arkansas with the points. They ended up being, uh, they ended up getting covering the points. The tide rolled in a 49 26 win. So they were, the points was plus 17, ended up being a plus 23. So one and one right there. Similar to my uh, Bama Arkansas prediction, had the Jaguars with the points, but the Eagles winning. That makes me two and two. Finally, I had the Rams beating the 49ers, which they obviously did not. All right, last one. Let's talk about a bias. I always finish off with a bias. I'm a big believer in understanding how the mind works uh, so that we can make better judgments. We can be better people. Uh, today, we're talking about the halo effect. It's one of these things that go coincides with confirmation bias. So what the halo effect is, is if you've ever heard first impressions or everything, that's part of that halo effect. 
Okay, you you are literally judging a book by its cover. And then once you've done that, you're going to find ways to confirm that initial judgment. Uh, what the scenario that I used, and I'll have a link to the Thursday countdown in, in the uh, show notes, is you have a kid walk through your door. Let's say you're a coach. We see this in player evaluations all the time. You have a kid walk through the door. He looks like a football player. He, he just has everything about him on the outside. He's strong. He's fast. Everything's good. And then you have the kid standing next to him that doesn't necessarily look uh, the part. He may not, not, you know, be as strong, be as fast. He's just kind of your, you know, he looks like an average Joe uh, football player. Um, but what you've done is the one that looks like a Greek God, you just assume all of a sudden he's going to be, a great football player and you're going to find excuses for him going forward. Whereas the other kid, he doesn't look like a football player. So you're going to find excuses for him not to be there. That's part of confirmation bias. Uh, and so at the end of the day, what ends up happening is you forget about things like intangibles, personality, and the actual skill set of playing football. And so you see this in, in player evaluations a lot, primarily in the NFL and at college, you know, we see this all the time, you know, in, in, College, it's always, you always hear it every single, you know, January, February, everybody wants a six foot corner. They're willing to take chances on kids, even though that the film doesn't really show you that he's really good. And then you look up a couple of years later and that kid's transferred or he's not even playing anymore. And then you got this five, eight, five, nine corner over here who doesn't necessarily look the part, but he, he was much more skilled player and he's blowing up at an FCS school. And now he's transferring to a power five school. So you see this all the time uh, in player evaluations, people try and, you know, Hey, try and put people in boxes. Halo effect is a little bit of that. What is your first impression when you see somebody and then how that affects you? So how can you combat it? Always when evaluating a talent, look at the whole picture. Don't just go off of what the person looks like or what he did in a combine situation. Um, you know, not everything in football is off of physical traits. You have to make sure that they can actually play the game. They can do it fast on the field. They can think. You know, so you need to have the whole picture. Second, refrain from subjective tools for evaluation. I think that's the other thing. You need to create metrics within your system when you are doing evaluations, whether it's production points or, hey, these are the things that we're looking for. How many do they hit? So that way you communicate it uh, fully and you get a full picture. What's the kid's GPA? What's his attendance at school? You know, uh, things like that that are going to be more indicative of is it going to show up when you need to on college campus, especially even in the NFL, you know, what are they doing? You know, what was their GPA might have an effect of, Hey, how, how well are they going to be able to sit in some of these meetings and, and retain information? Finally have a systematic approach when making judgments. So refrain from subjective tools and then create, like I suggested, make a systematic approach for these judgments, whether you're a high school coach, a college coach, or an NFL coach, or a casual fan, when you're making these judgments, it, remember, even in your daily life, when you're at work, or when, uh, if you're, if you're a kid is, it has a, has a teacher at school, we all use this halo effect and we have to fight it in order to get a real judgment of what that person is and how that person deals with us. So remember, looks are only surface deep. You remember the halo effect next time you're like, okay, why am I making this judgment? Or do I see this kid a certain way? Or do I see this player as a certain way because of the way he looks or the what, what I'm tied to or anchored to with the first impression I've got them. So that's your bias for the week, the halo effect. Thank you for joining me on the weekend countdown on the Art of X show. Enjoy this weekend of football. And as always, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. 
Follow me on Twitter at the underscore coach underscore A and follow everything match quarters on TikTok, on uh, Instagram, and obviously make sure to subscribe to the Substack and get match quarters in your mailbox every Monday. Thank you.